Well, it is so good to see you in the house of the Lord this morning, and I hope that God has already spoken to you this morning through song. What about the choir? Amen? Didn't they do such a great job? You know, Brother Andy and I have been talking about worship and visiting a lot about worship, and one of the things uh, that we are both passionate about is worshiping the Lord. And one of the great desires of our, our, of our hearts is to make sure that we highlight those people who God has gifted here at Crestwood and give them the opportunity to lead us before the throne of God and worship each and every Sunday. And so I'm hoping, and I think we will, Brother Andy has assured me, we're going to see more of the choir. We'll see them more, more times in our worship services. They'll be highlighted, and I'm glad of that. That's just a powerful song, isn't it? Jesus is our firm foundation. What a great truth there for all of us that Jesus Christ is the foundation of our lives. I don't know if you remember that story that Jesus Christ tells at the end of the Sermon on the Mount where there's the foolish man and the wise man. One builds on a faulty foundation, builds on the shifting sand, and the other one builds on the rock. And what happens? When the storms of life come and attack, what takes place? The person who has built their life on the faulty foundation, their home, their life crumbles and falls. But for the person who has built their life on the right foundation, their life is, or their foundation is able to withstand whatever the world throws at them. Isn't that so true? I don't know what you've built your life on this morning, but I'm hoping and praying that you have built your life on Jesus Christ. And if you've not built your life on Jesus Christ, I hope before this service is finished that today you will make that choice to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ and choose to build your life upon that firm foundation of Jesus Christ because He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. He will always be with you through it all. Amen? That's a good word from the Lord. We're going to talk this morning about how to strengthen that foundation even more in our lives. We're going to focus our attention this morning on the Word of God. So if you have your Bibles, I would ask that you open them to Acts, the second chapter. Acts, the second chapter. And in just a few moments, we're going to be looking at a passage of Scripture that we've been looking at the last several Sundays. We're going to turn our attention back to it once again and just begin to look at the Word of God and allow the Word of God to speak into our hearts and our lives. But as you're turning your Bibles to that passage of Scripture, I want to do something this morning. I want to say a little something about the Word of God. Now, I want you to just listen to what it is that I'm going to say about the Word of God. The book that I hold before you today is the number one bestseller of all times. It was written from three different continents over a 2,000-year period of time. It consists of 66 books, 40 authors who recorded this book under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It has one author, God. One hero, Jesus Christ. One villain, Satan. It has one theme, the redemption of mankind, and one purpose, all for God's glory. We know this book to be the Word of God. But how do we know we can truly trust what is written there? How do we know this book that should guide and direct our lives? How do we know 
that this was truly inspired of God. There are some people would tell you this morning, it is utterly foolish to believe everything that you find on the pages of the Bible. I mean, think about it for a moment. Really, a man coming back to life, a dude being swallowed by a fish, a donkey talking. Do you see what I'm saying? Can we truly trust what we find written on the pages of this book? This morning, I want us to focus our attention on the Word of God and the importance of the role that God's Word plays in our life and in the life of our church. If you have your Bibles, you'll want to make sure that you have found Acts, the second chapter. This is our focal passage of Scripture for a series of sermons we started on Sunday morning that we have simply entitled, The Church. And we are seeking to ask and answer the question, what is the church? Now, in our study, we have learned two very important characteristics about God's church. We first, we learned that God's church is a believing people. It is a group of people that have come together who have placed their faith and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only are they just a believing people, but they are also a worshiping people. If you remember last week, we talked about worship. If you remember, it says here that they met regular in the temple courts praising God. This group of believers came together on a regular basis for the purpose of worshiping the risen Savior, Jesus Christ. So I want you to listen to what it is that Luke is going to write. Now remember, this is Luke's first report on the status of the work the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ throughout the new world, the coming, recording the, the acts, the events around the coming of the Holy Spirit, and the formation of the early church. Now I want you to listen to what he says here in verse 41. So those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day about 3,000 souls. Now, we know that these people had trusted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior because the word that uh, Peter preached is found for us in the second chapter of the book of Acts. And it's centered on the person of Jesus Christ, upon his life on earth and his finished work at the cross and his resurrection from the grave. They had placed their faith and trust in Jesus. Now, listen to what it says in verse 42. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship to the breaking of bread and the prayers. And all came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received food with glad and generous hearts praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Did you notice what Luke said in verse 42 of this passage of Scripture? He said that this group of believers devoted themselves 
to the apostles' teachings. Those two words, the apostles' teachings, refer to the teachings that Jesus Christ passed on to his disciples when they were here or when he was here on earth. And it also refers to the Old Testament scripture. When we read those words, it is easy for us to determine at the very center of this church was the word of God. It was central in their lives. This was a biblical church, a church that held up the Word of God. We can draw the conclusion this morning that the church is not just a believing people, it's not just a worshiping people, but it is also a Bible people, a people who seeks to make God's Word central in His church. No matter what we do as God's people, the Word of God must always be held up. Jesus Christ said, if I be lifted up, I will draw all men unto me. We lift up Jesus Christ through the preaching and the teaching and the reading of God's Word. So God's Word must always be central in God's church. We don't gather here on Sunday morning just to read the latest Reader Digest uh, version or story that's out there. We don't come on Sunday morning for you to hear my opinion. We gather on Sunday morning to gather around the Word of God because the Word of God is foundational for our lives. So this morning what I would like for you to do is to take your Bibles now and turn them over to Hebrews, the fourth chapter. Hebrews, the fourth chapter. This is one of the great passages of Scripture concerning the Word of God. And in just a few moments, we're going to read verses 12 and 13 out of this passage. But while you're turning your Bibles there, what I would like to take the time to do is just to give you a little bit of the context about what is happening here in this particular passage of Scripture. The writer of Hebrews is writing to this church, these Hebrew Christians, and he is challenging them. He is warning them against the dangers of cultural Christianity. And as he warns them against the dangers of cultural Christianity, he is going to use an example from their past to warn them with. He's going to use the wanderings of the children of Israel in the wilderness. Even though the children of Israel had been led out of Egypt by the blood of the Lamb, and even though God had parted the Red Sea and led them through on dry land, and He had provided everything that they needed for them, for, for them in the wilderness, they still failed to trust God and obey His Word. Have you ever noticed in Scripture how often those two thoughts go together? How often we find trusting God with obeying God. As a matter of fact, I would tell you it is utterly impossible for a person to claim that they are trusting God, but they are not living in obedience to Him. Obedience to God's Word is an indicator that we are truly trusting Him. How is it possible for us to say to God, God, I trust you, but I could care less about what you say in your Word? It doesn't add up, does it? 
It's impossible for a person to say, Oh God, I love you with all of my heart, and I'm trusting you. I'm walking by faith every day, but then live contrary to the Word of God. It just doesn't add up, does it? So the writer of Hebrews comes here, and he challenges this group of Christians. First, he warns them against cultural Christianity. And then he moves on, and then he's going to encourage them to hold to the Word of God. I want you to listen to what he says in these two verses, verses 12 and 13 in the book of Hebrews. These are two of my favorite verses found in all of Scripture. Listen to what he says here. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give an account. To me, those are two of the most convicting verses of Scripture in all of God's Word. Do you know why that is? We can fool one another. You know, we can even deceive ourselves. But I'll tell you what, there is one you will never deceive. He knows all and He sees all. And there is nothing that is ever hidden from His sight. As a matter of fact, the reader here said that when we stand before God, we are naked and exposed. What graphic language. That there is nothing that happens in your life and my life that goes unnoticed by God. That is fearful to me when I think about that. So the question I want us to ask ourselves and answer this morning in the time that we have together is this. What does the Bible say about itself? What does the Bible say about itself? If this book is truly as important as we say it is to our life, if it's truly central in God's church like we say it is, if we truly call ourselves a people of the Word and our lives are built on the Word, shouldn't we at least know what the Bible says about itself? Is it reliable for our lives? If it is going to be a reliable guide for our life, if it is going to be trustworthy for our life, then we need to understand what it is that the Bible says about itself. And this is what the Bible says about itself. First, the Bible says that the Word of God is alive. Did you hear what the writer said here in verse 12? Listen to it again. He said, for the Word of God is living. 
Now, there's no other author in the world who would ever make the claim that the words that they write down on a piece of paper are actually alive. But that's exactly what God says here in this passage of Scripture about His Word. He says that the Word of God is alive. It is living. Paul said to Timothy in 2 Timothy, the third chapter in the 16th verse, that all Scripture is inspired of God. That word uh, inspired is a unique word. It literally means to be breathed out, to breathe out. When Paul made that statement, he was saying, this book that we hold in our hands this morning, this Bible is the very breathed out words of the living God. Have you ever thought about that? We have the privilege each and every day of our life as God's people to hold the living Word of God in our hands. This is the Word of the sovereign God of the universe. He speaks to us each and every day of our life through His Word. Oftentimes I've had people ask me the question, Brother Jeff, how do I understand what God's will is for my life? Go to the Word of God. It's not some mystery out here that we can never get our, our hands on, that we can never grasp. If we want to understand the Word of God and what God's will is for our life, we have to get into the Word. The Word of God is alive. It is living according to what the writer of Hebrews said. He said the Word of God is living. And because the Word of God is alive, it has power to impart life to the dying, not the physically dying, but the spiritually dying. As a matter of fact, the Word of God very clearly teaches us that at one time, every one of us were dead in our trespasses and sins. That's what the Apostle Paul said. But at the moment in time we heard the Word of God and we trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we went, from the, we went from dying to alive. God has made us alive through His Word. There is a power in God's Word that has ability to take that which is dead and make it alive, to give it life. The Apostle Paul said it this way concerning the gospel and salvation. Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. It is through the Word of God that the Spirit of God convicts and draws mankind unto a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. If we as God's church want to see the lives of people transformed, we must always hold up the Word of God. It must be central in God's church. There is a power in the Word of God that has the ability to make the dead come alive. But not only does it just have the ability to make the dead come to life, it also has the ability to renew life in the living. David said in Psalm 19 that the Word of God, the law of God, is perfect, restoring the soul. The Word of God has the ability and the power to take those times of spiritual dryness in our life and rejuvenate us. 
to renew us, to revitalize our relationship in the Lord Jesus Christ. What does the Bible say about itself? The Bible says that the Word of God is alive. But not only did he just say it was alive, look back here at this text with me again and listen to what he says here. He says, for the Word of God is living and what? Active is what he says. Now, some of your Bibles may say that the Word of God is powerful. Or it may say that the Word of God is effective. All of those words mean the same thing. The word here means that it always accomplishes what God intended it to accomplish. No matter where God's Word is preached and taught, no matter where God's Word is read, God's Word always accomplishes exactly what God intended His Word to accomplish. That's what the prophet Isaiah said. Perhaps Isaiah summed it up best. In Isaiah, the 55th chapter and the 11th verse, Isaiah said, wherever God's word is preached or taught, it will not return void, is what he said. That's a verse of scripture that I claim every time I stand in the pulpit and I preach and teach God's word. God's word always fulfills its purpose. Always. Now, some of you may be saying, okay, Brother Jeff, I hear what you're saying. So what is the purpose of God's Word? Well, there's a twofold purpose to God's Word. The first is to confront and to convict mankind of their sinfulness and show them a need for a Savior. That's what Paul said in Romans, the third chapter in the 20th verse. He said, the law of God makes us conscious of our sin." The word law there refers to the perfect moral standard of God, the Ten Commandments. The Word of God makes us aware of how sinful we truly are. It enables us to see ourselves for who we really are. But not only does it just confront and convict sinners, what about us who have trusted Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior? What purpose does the Word of God serve in your life and my life? Well, the Word of God serves as a guide for our life. It directs us. It leads us. It helps us to understand what God's plans and purpose is for our life. That's what David said in Psalm 19. In Psalm, I'm sorry, in the 119th Psalm, in the 105th verse, he said that the Word of God was a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God has given us His Word to guide us, to lead us, to direct us as we live out our lives here in this world. This world. So the Bible says that the Word of God is living and it is active, but the, I mean, the writer of Hebrews goes on and he says here, it is also piercing and discerning, is what he says. And he uses the perfect illustration to make his point. He says, the Word of God is sharper than any two-edged sword. Now, this wasn't the big sword that the Roman soldier used in battle. It was the small sword. It was a dagger that they would tuck in their belt. And it was razor sharp on both sides. And it was used in hand-to-hand combat when a person was up close to you and you could look them in your eye. And when you pulled that sword and you thrust it, 
it had the ability to penetrate flesh all the way to the bone. It caused major damage in a person's life. He uses this as an illustration to help us to understand something very important about the Word of God. Here it is. In the same way that a two-edged sword can penetrate, can pierce through the flesh, the Word of God has a power that enables it to penetrate and pierce our hearts. You know what we call it? It's called conviction. That's what we call it. Conviction. It's like I heard a man say one time in a sermon, do you know why people feel guilty? Because they are guilty. You see what I'm saying? We feel guilty because we are guilty. We, at some point in time, every one of us has failed to live up to the moral standard of God's Word. It's impossible for us to keep the Ten Commandments. If we could keep the Ten Commandments, we wouldn't need a Savior. It's impossible. Have you ever tried to live life by keeping the Ten Commandments? It is challenging. Just try it one week, and I'll promise you by the time the end of the week is over, you will realize how many times you have failed. Will you not? Yes. The Word of God has the ability to penetrate the hardest of heart and bring about conviction for the lives that we are living. But did you hear what else he said in this passage of Scripture? Not only did he say that the Word of God pierces, he also said the Word of God is discerning. It's discerning. Perhaps it's best illustrated in the words of James. James, the first chapter, James said this, that the Word of God is like a mirror. Now, we've all looked into a mirror, haven't we? A mirror simply reflects the image that is staring into it. Now, this is the thing. Whether we like it or not, mirrors never lie. Isn't that true? When I get up in the morning and I go stand in my mirror in the bathroom, I see a man with a receding hairline. Well, actually, I see a man with no hair is what I see. The receding hairline is already gone. I see crow's feet around my eyes. I see a scar over here where my brother poked me on the side of my face one time. I see another scar down here on my eye. I see gray in my beard. Why is that? Because mirrors never lie. Mirrors simply reveal what is in front of it. And that is true of the Word of God. In the same way that a mirror reveals what is in front of it, the Word of God, when it's held up before our life, simply reveals what's in front of it, is what it does. Do you see what I'm saying? Because when we hold up the Word of God, it pierces and when it pierces our heart, it even has the ability to reveal our thoughts and our motives, why we do what we do. The writer of Hebrews said that the Bible says that the Word of God is active, that the Word of God is living, that the Word of God is piercing and discerning, revealing the very thoughts of our hearts, our minds, the very intentions of 
our soul. That is the word of God. This morning, as I prepare to close, I would like to close with this question, though. The question I would close with is this. Can we truly trust God's word? Can we truly trust God's word? Perhaps that is best answered through a story that I heard earlier this week. I want you to listen to this story. It's a story about a young pastor who started having doubts about whether or not he could trust the Bible. He had some friends who had been talking to him about the Bible being full of errors. They tried to convince him that the Bible was an old-fashioned book and it had no place in modern society. The young preacher became very confused and frustrated. He turned down a preaching engagement because he wasn't sure if he could put any confidence in the Word of God. Like one of his preacher friends, he even considered leaving the ministry and beginning to pursue a career in sales. In the middle of this period of suffering, this difficult, challenging time in his life, he was at a Christian retreat center and he walked out into the forest around midnight. He was carrying his Bible with him and he placed it on a tree trunk to see if there was any word from God. But it was so dark he couldn't read any of the words on the page. He fell to his knees in front of the stump and began to pray. He cried out, Oh God, there are many things in this book I do not understand. There are many problems with it for which I have no solution. There are some areas in it that do not seem to correlate with modern science. I can't answer all of the questions that my friends are asking me. He continued to pray, and soon he began to weep. He felt so alone, he despaired in his spirit. He kept waiting for a voice from heaven or a light to shine on his Bible, but nothing happened. But then he made a decision. He prayed, Father, I am going to accept this book as your word by faith. I am going to allow faith to go beyond my intellectual questions and doubts. And I will believe this to be your inspired word. He got up, he grabbed his Bible, and he walked back toward the retreat center. Years later, as he looked back on that life-changing night, he wrote these words. When I got up from my knees, I sensed the presence and the power of God as I had not sensed it in months. Not all of my questions were answered, but I knew in my heart, in my mind, a spiritual battle had been warred that day, and it had been won. That day, I began to believe that God's Word was trustworthy. This past week, that man went home to be with the Lord. His name was Billy Graham. He preached face-to-face -to, -face to more than any other man has ever preached to people's faces. Over 250 million people, he preached the truth of God's Word to them. And millions more heard by radio and TV. 
He says it was a watershed moment in my ministry when I came to the conclusion that I could trust God's Word and I didn't have to have all of the answers, but I could accept by faith that this book was truly the inspired Word of God. Listen to me. The Bible is a dangerous book. It is living and active and has the ability to pierce the hardest of hearts and discern a person's thoughts and motives. And if we will only allow God, He will use His Word to do surgery on our hearts. Is this book trustworthy? I don't know about you, but I'm banking my life on it that it is. This morning we're going to have a hymn of invitation. We're going to allow ourselves to respond to the Lord in whatever manner we need to respond. I'm going to ask the instrumentalist to come. I'm going to have a word of prayer. And as I have a word of prayer, after I have a word of prayer, we're going to sing a song. And it will open our time of invitation, an opportunity for us to respond in whatever manner God is leading us to respond. Perhaps you're here this morning, and more than anything else, you just need to nail down in your life that the Word of God is truly God's Word, and you're going to accept it by faith. But perhaps you're here this morning, and more important than anything else, is you don't really know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And what you need more than anything else is for Jesus to come into your heart and your life and to save you, to change you. I'm here at the front. I would love to share with you how you can come into a relationship with Him. You know, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. You know why the Bible doesn't say tomorrow is the day of salvation? Because salvation is urgent. None of us are guaranteed tomorrow. None of us know we will be here or not. So if you're here and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you please come during our time of invitation. I invite you to come. I would love to share with you from God's Word. Perhaps you're here this morning. You need to become a part of this body of believers. I want to encourage you to come. We would love to have you. You follow the leadership and the direction of the Lord in whatever manner He guides you. Let's pray. Father God, we thank You for Your love and the way You've spoken to our hearts today. Father, we know that Your Word is true and that where Your Word is preached and taught, it will never return void. And so, Lord, we're holding on to the promise of Your Word today, believing that the hearts and the lives of people will be changed this morning through the preaching and the teaching of your word. Father, you have your way in our hearts and our lives. You be honored and glorified through our lives. Father, you guide us through your Holy Spirit, each one of us, to the decision that we need to make in order for us to be right with you. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.